Shopamaniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hard stop edition, Chris. <laughs> Always, isn't it? That's just our our lives now. Everything's busy. Um, oh, busy. Meetings, 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 business. We got some questions picked out. Um, we'll get to them. Is there any news? I mean, there's the there's the you know Chrome or Edge goes Chrome. <laughs> Edge, Edge is now on Chrome. Edgium, uh, I believe, is the slang term there. Edgium has happened. Um, it's good. I use it. You should download it. But uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, I think uh, it's very much like Chrome, except maybe a prettier UI, in my humble opinion. Sure. So, bottom line, uh, you can use details now, but only for things like just expanding a piece of text. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you just, need to know. You can use details. If you just have text that doesn't require a heading, that's what I've learned. So um, ship it. Of then, course, there's lots more to say about that, but I don't. I don't know if that I really feel like having a whole edge show again. Um, yeah. Well, and I was gonna say. Um, well, what's weird? I mean, sort of a bit of hot drama. Yeah. Jung, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like the same day Edge came out, there's a bunch of layoffs at Mozilla. So sorry if that was in. If you were in that. So, um, but you know that's. That's it, it raises the alarm level, right? That's it. The, it's like the 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 alarm. That's a good way of putting it. Like the health of the webometer, you know, like feels like it went down a little bit. Because if you happen to be on the side, which there's very much two sides to this, I hate to admit, but there's people that think, well, oh, this is just only a good move. And wow, I don't have to cross browser test and that anymore. Slick. And there's people mm-hmm. that are like, this is really bad for the diversity and overall health of the web. So two camps, in a way, plenty of nuance in between, very interesting stuff. But if you happen to be on the side that, like, this is kind of bad for the diversity and health of the web from, like, an ecosystem perspective, a checks and balances perspective, uh, you might be really bummed off when those two things happen together. Because it's not like Mozilla is saying, like, we're giving up as a browser, too, but, you know, know, super healthy, thriving companies don't announce major layoffs, you know, so... Right. Right. Uh, well, and I mean, and if you're on the ultra progress, the, so actually this is interesting. I read a book about this, Chris. I I have book knowledge about this. Um, I just read a book called the wizard and the prophet. And it's about these two um, kind of, I guess they, they were farmers essentially. They, but they, they basically learned how to like help uh, they, they were deployed to Mexico in the like thirties or something like that. And uh, like we're, we're told to grow wheat in Mexico and stuff like that. And one of them became kind of a prophet and his thing became like a ecological conservationist before that was even a word or a term, but he, he was all about like, Hey, we need to scale back what we're doing scale it back like he he was a very much a prophet in that regard just like warning foreboding hey please like everyone stop consuming everything because like there's not enough to go around resources are scarce and the the wizard was this other guy who he basically came in and was like well i'm just gonna breed like 400 varieties of wheat and see if we can grow wheat in this really hard area and so he just did it he experimented and and uh, used science and came up with a strand of wheat that that was able to grow. And so he's the the wizard that who used science to build something. 
Now, it follows this whole thing like through hundreds of years with global warming and and even like, you know, where where things like Monsanto where things are like, mm-hmm. you know, grains are, you know, patented and GMOs and blah. Like, I don't want to get into that. You can read the whole book. But like uh, when you think about it in the context of the web, it's very much like you have these wizards who are like, well, Chrome is great. So let's, let's just use the best browser and we'll wizard it forward, you know. Um, and then the prophets are like, no, we need diversity on the web. We need like this whole ecosystem, uh, preserved. And I feel like if you were a wizard and you're like all these blog posts about the, you know, losing edge means the web's dying, that you're overreacting. But then like, I don't know how you feel the same way when like, like when the same day Edgeum comes out, like the, the Mozilla, like has a big layoff, like, like, I don't know how you're like, yeah, everything's cool still, you know? But, and I think the prophets are very much in this camp of like, oh my gosh, like this, that is the worst news that could happen on this day. So, yeah, I don't know. There's some takes on this. There's like, if you, cause you can't roll back time here. Like this has happened. So too late, you know, to some degree, but the too late part is like, well, Firefox hasn't folded yet though. So if you're in the like, this is so important to me. It's kind of like your duty to use Firefox. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think I've heard people say that. It's like, how can you support Firefox? And and the answer is quite literally, use it. Like, right. or, or give money, like buy one of these VPN products they have coming out or something like that. But but then I've even read another post. Did you post it maybe? Um, but it was about like, no, it was on, um, oh, uh, psh, 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 psh. Oh, I'm gonna uh Cime Vitas. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name mm-hmm. right. I've never I've only read it. I, uh but has a that wonderful uh web platform weekly mm-hmm. um email list and um had a post in there just about the the what is the DRM thing Google's like uh wave vine or something like oh, that. Oh, I don't even know what you're talking oh. about. I have no idea. Is oh it like a gosh. standard piece of tech or is it a proprietary thing that they've well, in? It's proprietary, right? So Microsoft, Google, and Apple all have it. Like they all have a version of it, right? And it, like it's basically DRM on videos. Incri- okay, Google, Apple, Microsoft, uh, three providers of CDMs, content delivery mechanisms, I guess, uh, are required for playback in encrypted media and browsers. Uh, but so only for Google's Netflix CD- in the browser. Yeah, Netflix in the browser. That's what we're talking about. So only Google's CDM, Widevine, is freely available. It's also used by Firefox, okay? So this allows Google to act as a gatekeeper for new browsers. So it's uh, it is a post over on, oh. you know, again, sort of a profit blog, <laughs> but Samuel Maddox blog, um, kind of, and, and it's the end of India web browsers. Um, just the, this idea, like, you know, okay, let's say I make my own browser called whatever, Dave Fari, and, you know, I wrote it from scratch. You need this because if Netflix doesn't work on it, you're done. You know, like, you have to have yeah. this. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure increasingly it's like YouTube won't work on it. And, you know, like, or the nice YouTube channels don't work on it. You know what I mean? So, um yeah, and you can't. And Chrome has to say, "Okay, you can use this." So it's not open source, but it's like it's free if you get their blessing. Is that is it that 
gnarly. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, like you you have to fill out a contact page and hopefully they write back. You know. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know? Okay. You know, a part yeah. of it. This is just to throw another interesting wrench into this. Uh, I if you know if I was a betting man, I would have said for sure there's never going to be another major browser. Like, it's so expensive. Are you crazy to, like, just start from scratch and just be like, I think I'm going to write a browser. Like, it's just too many man hours for too little, for too much risk and too little payoff. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I read over on PPK's blog, oh, here's an interview with this one guy who's just, like, writing a browser from scratch. And he, they already have a bunch of commercial clients for it. It's not open source. You can't even download it. But it's shipping, and it's just, they just did, they like started writing an SVG engine and like had a good time doing that and are literally having fun doing it. So are just decided to do HTML instead. And it's this fascinating interview about how like one of the most challenging things is laying out text because text needs to wrap and wrapping is really complicated and yada, yada, you know, like fascinating interview. But they like have a working shipping browser. Yeah, and they I, ship it I, because I, because they wrote it from scratch. It has like no memory usage, or you know, not none, but like it, they can design it to be perfect for like TVs and stuff. Yeah, no, I, I think it was, and it's like very like low uh, footprint. I think it's is it called Flow? Is yeah, that what it Flow, is? Right. And it's which is made little. by Ekio, who you know, trusted brand <laughs> there. Um, everyone's favorite brand, Ekio. Um, no, I'm sure I. I'm just joking because it's not one of the like major five, but you know, it, but they're like redoing everything. They're they're posting their whole progress on Twitter. You can follow Flow Browser, um, but it's kind of ba. They're like, hey, look, Amazon works now, or like, hey, look, like we, we they did. Uh, who's the code pen? The CSS, uh, like painting the old like you know. I forget the like Baroque paintings and stuff. Oh, yeah. You like, know what I'm talking about? Sienna Harlow or whatever. Yeah. So, like, and, and like they got those running, they got the Guardian running and stuff like that. And they're, they're admittedly like, it's not perfect, but you know, hey, we're, we're getting there. So, um, start basic, but, and apparently it's like mega fast. So, and they didn't fork Chromium. You know, that's what's so fascinating about it. Like, cause there is a, you know, I always like to bring that up. I don't know how relevant people think it is, but like the losing of Microsoft's rendering engines are are a hit to an ecosystem, I guess, but not an open source one. Like none of that stuff was open source. And so now not, Chromium is, and it's pretty loosely open source. You, you literally can just fork it and do something you want. Chromium itself was a fork of WebKit, you know? So it's theoretically having more of the browser landscape be open source could be read as a positive, at least for me, you know? Well, and I think that's one of the wizards arguments is like, we lost in a closed source browser. Hallelujah. You know, like that mission accomplished, like that's great, you know, but, um, but I think the profit side is like, well, people are just going to care less about the other things. I mean, people already assume like WebKit is blink, like is the same as Chrome, but it's totally not. It's way different, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. you know, and WebKit's little kingdom is not, well, not disappearing, but it's, it's shaken. I'd, I'd say, I mean, it's just mobile Safari at this point, I'd say, you know, if I would like, if I get really critical of, of its, uh, support so it's just mobile safari so you have like bleeding edge chrome on android and like kind of i don't know limited 
capability iOS browser, you know, like those are the two browsers. Remember the last browser company that forked Chromium to go their own road and compete on browser features? They were called Opera, and Opera now does predatory short-term lending in Africa. So super cool pivot from Opera. Good good pivot. Um, uh, That's great, everybody. We are doing good. I that no, I I saw that. It's just it's unbelievable. It's I mean I I just want to like a bunch of VC got involved and and Opera tanked because their browser market share was just plummeting, and so they had to do extreme stuff to fix it. And this is like as extreme as it gets. And and them and their proxy browser already had like a lot of like users. So yeah, that's too bad. That's really too bad. All right, well, we made this so. about that anyway. So. Hey, sorry for the bummer. <laughs> I did want to say our whole episode last last week was like we came to the conclusion: don't eject your app from like create React app or even create Gutenberg block or whatever. Right. Um, and I was gonna say I don't I don't have the links here, but I was like reading blogs and and uh, I I think it was like a Dan and Abramov post or something from React, but it was like in with you know we we created the eject concept from in create react app. And so it's, it's wonderful because you can like eject whenever you want, you know, if it doesn't fit your style. And I, I just wanted to say there's a very positive viewpoint of ejecting there. I just want to give you the fair and balanced reporting here, but I think for us, we are like thinking, never the, like, do it. Ability. Yeah. 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 But, but I, I just like, I think there's like very, I think it is cool that they offer you that you're not stuck in a tool for life. Yeah, that's that's a positive fair enough aspect of it. I think we mentioned that, like you know, if you're in this for the long haul, this is your main project, this is your day job, this is your meat and potatoes work. I'd eject right away, probably. Like get in there, start doing stuff. But you know, remember that like Bastion Alliger post simplicity from a while back that was just like the worst thing about development practically is build processes that's what goes mm-hmm. stale two years from now your build process whatever it is it's not going to work there's no way your website might still work because it's already been built and deployed so fine you know browsers will take care of that but if you need to go update green to red in a color declaration well chances are there's a build process for your css you're going to try to run it your node version has going to change these dependencies have gotten weird in those two years you got a new computer, stuff isn't installed the same way, it's not going to run. So when you need to change green to red, now you got to like spend your day rejiggering that build process to get fixed up. To me, that's similar to this ejecting concept. Once you've ejected, now you have a bespoke build process that's on you to keep up. It's going to go bad. Whereas mm-hmm. it can create racked up, it might happen too, but it's like one dependency to update, or maybe it won't happen at all because it's so isolated and boxed away that it might just run just fine, you know? Uh, anyway, it's just that's what kills websites. It would be cool if there was a, a dollar amount <laughs> like appended to uh, ejecting, you know, or, or, or like you said, bespoke build processes, you know? It's like like you have a choice to hop into a client project. One is like, 11 and one is some bespoke webpack doodad how much do you charge for each one it's basically the same blog but one is like 11 and one is some custom uh custom bespoke webpack config uh i think like my price 
quadruples on the custom <laughs> webpack config. I don't know, but um, it, it would be rowdy. I don't know. Yeah, I like it when you're always trying to attach dollar sign. When's the last time you did that? Like, it was like dollars per commit or dollars per dependency oh, or oh, per if no, statement. 10, every if statement costs ten thousand dollars. <laughs> and what it gets you, Chris, over the lifetime of the if statement. So, of course, we know if statements are only about five thousand dollars each. But I'm giving billing ten thousand so that over the lifetime of this thing in your code base, it's well maintained. Sure. Over over years and years or decades that it's going to linger in your code base. Yeah. This one custom bespoke piece of business logic that you are putting inside your view template. I I'm just offering you a service, a flat fee, ten thousand dollars. Flat fee is. Per ju- I think that's almost generous of you, Dave. I'd say I write my if statements for five thousand dollars each. But so if I write your app and there's zero if statements, then it is a flat fee. But the second there's one, then I ha- I ha- you have to sign up for a monthly maintenance plan with me. Yeah, yeah, that's the monthly maintenance cost. And other companies, Chris, they're going to sell you a cheap if statement. But you know what? They're hiding the costs of yeah. the long-term maintenance. You know what I mean? I'm being very... They're using really flimsy feet. curly brackets that will almost certainly deteriorate over time. No, they used a bitwise operator in there. You know, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. JavaScript has Bitwise. That's a surprise. Yeah, but there get you. out of here with your switch statement. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Well, with, oh, there was a video game. Uh, somebody open-sourced a video game. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of it. Darn it. But And they put the source code on online. And somebody, like I saw just some nerds like commenting, and they're like, uh, oh, wow. I That was the first, like, 3,000 case switch statement I've ever seen <laughs> in my whole life. <laughs> and and somebody was basically just like, yeah, video games are pretty rowdy. Like, like, like sometimes you just phone it in and, and you uh, just put it up, put up the codes. So. I can't write them because of the word break. I just hate writing break. Don't you? Over and over and over. Yeah. yeah. And then you get to the bottom and you're like default and, and the, as as the switch statement gets bigger, default means nothing. Like it just means less and less and less and less. Like oh, that's true. And then you know what? It, you know what grinds my gears. Uh, Try catch has made a comeback. You know, in a lot of of things. And I'm just like it. Just still bothers me. I think I learned like it's a bad practice, and so I think it's bad. Uh, which is maybe not wholly true, but but for me, I'm just like it seems so. Uh, so like I uh, crossing your fingers and hoping, Oh, could you just try this code and see if it works? Oh, it didn't. Okay. Well, my bad. You know, I just, it's so funny to me. It's like, I don't know. It, I, I, I try to write code that works uh, me personally. Uh, but then you try to, then you tell the browser, Hey, try this code and see what happens. So it's silly to me. But. <laughs> This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a fast and enjoyable project management platform that breaks down silos and brings teams together to ship value, not features. Let's face it, slow, confusing UX is so last decade. Clubhouse is lightning fast, built for today's software teams with only the features and best practices you need to succeed and nothing more. Here are a few highlights about Clubhouse. Flexible workflows. You can easily customize workflow states for teams or projects of any size. Advanced filtering. You can quickly filter by project or team to see how everything is progressing. There's sprint planning. Set your weekly priorities with iterations and let Clubhouse run the schedule for you. It also integrates with the tools you love. 
Clubhouse ties into your existing tools, services, and workflow. Get notifications or create a story in Slack, update the status of a story with a pull request, preview designs from Figma links, or build your own integration with the Clubhouse API and more. It also has enjoyable collaboration, easy drag and drop UI, dark mode, emoji reactions, and more. When you're doing your best work and your team is clicking, life is good. Clubhouse has recently made all core features completely free for teams with up to 10 users. And they're offering listeners of Shop Talk Show two free months on any paid plan with unlimited users and access to premium features. You can give it a try at clubhouse.io slash shop talk. Thanks again to Clubhouse for sponsoring this episode of Shop Talk Show. Speaking of, so, so let's say your goal then is to like have a web page that lasts a long time. This is just kind of a lead in because I just posted about this today. I saw a article by Jeff Huang, who is a, I think a, a professor somewhere who's <clears throat> teaches technology of some kind and literally like uses the bookmark feature of his browser a lot and like happened to do some tending of his bookmarks recently and had like kind of a sad relevation as he was clicking through the links of interesting things he's saved, presumably over the years that tons of them are just dead. They just aren't, aren't wow. URLs anymore, you know, because it's like, uh, you know, the bit rot of the internet. I don't know if we have a percentage that people like to throw around, but it's definitely over 50%, you know, like I, some part of me thinks it might be something like 99%, you know, of web pages created that just eventually get gone after say a decade, you know, just don't exist anymore. Probably yeah, a lot. I wonder what the rot rate is on that. So he's right? saying, like, but l- like as a thought exercise, what if you don't want that to happen to you? Like, what are choices that you can make to, on your site to make this thing last? And he has seven of them. And I looked at him, I'm like, I don't like necessarily hate these seven of them, but I, I, I just didn't get the feeling that these are the seven things that, that matter, that are going to keep a URL around for a long time. And I could be wrong, because who knows? I'm just one guy, just, just one guy. It's not that I like disagree with his seven necessarily. I just don't think they're putting a finger on the thing that keeps the URL alive. So I know I'm just throwing at you that for the first time, but what's your gut for like, what do you think it takes technological or otherwise, which isn't necessarily a hint, but could be. So, but just open your mind to things beyond HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Hmm. I, you know, um, that's a good question. I think if I'm, and maybe I'm in the Jamstack fever here, um, I feel like static sites fare would fare better. Some kind of static compilation, um, because otherwise you have to depend on somebody paying their database server hosting bill for you know forever. Like a static site seems easier to maintain or or like just exist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to get crufty and hacky or, or hacked and. I don't know. So that that would be my first like possibly a a statically deployed site would fare better. Um but I don't know. Um do you have thoughts I, cuz I I or maybe you can read what he had posted um but uh, well his his list I'll just do it cuz you know I'm sure after listening to this you're like what did he say? Okay, podcast listeners, here it is. (laughs) One of them is like what you said, just vanilla HTML and CSS. So author in those technologies. I have thoughts on that, but let's wait. Don't minimize the HTML. 
And he has thoughts on these too. He's not just a flat list. He's got whole paragraphs that explain his thinking on these things. Number three, prefer one page over several. So not like an article that has multiple links, although who does that? Uh, Okay, stop with the thoughts, Chris. End all forms of hot linking. Stick with the 13 web safe fonts plus two. Okay. Obsessively compress your images. Seven, the last one. Eliminate the broken URL risk. So those are the there's seven of them. And you know, like I said, there's a, it's fine. I think the fonts one is the weirdest one because I'm like, what does your fonts have to do with how long a web page lasts? Like, even if the fonts die on it, it'll fall back to something. You know, it's not going to kill the website. Yeah, I wonder if you came across like people who like quit paying their type kit bill. Um, and all of a sudden it's just waiting like WF weight loading or whatever. Oh my God. Would it, uh, I guess, depending on how it's implemented, is it possible that it's just a white page? I mean, I don't know. Still, it would, yeah. Uh, to be on the top list of seven seems unlikely. The hot linking one seems like a big deal. If you, if you're like linking to very important resources that aren't hosted by you, those are going to rot too and hurt your website. If it's a broken image, fine. It's a font, fine, but if it's like some old CDN that doesn't exist anymore for a necessary JavaScript resource for your page to render, that could be bad. But again, it's probably not going to ruin your website for the most part. You know, minimizing HTML, I I, I don't know if that's going to destroy your website or not, but I, what I like about that one is that it alludes to a build process. HTML doesn't minimize itself. So if you're minimizing your HTML because mm. you have some co- weird build process, most build processes don't even optimize HTML. I see, think it as one of the more rare forms of optimization that I don't see that often. A lot of times, if, it, if you see it on a website, it's just Cloudflare doing it on the way out, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, so sure, like if it's because you have a complicated build process, that I think that's what hurts you in the long term. That you forget about it, you don't know how it works anymore, it doesn't run anymore, you don't feel like investing the time to do it. So you so your desire to work on your own website really falls off the map and you're just like, you know what, shut it down. So I think if I have to pick a single thing, it's it's technologically it's build processes, even though I like them. And I live by them, and they're important to what we do. The more complicated it are, it is, and the more dependencies it has, the more likely it is to rot. And when it rots, then your website's doomed. Mm-hmm. And but mm-hmm. secondarily, but if you what you need is like some stake in the game, some motivation, some like I want this website to live because it matters to me. A website will last when somebody cares about it existing. Mm-hmm. As soon as nobody cares about it anymore, it's also doomed. It's worse than doom. It's it's definitely gone, you know? No, that's, I mean, that's a great, that that was sort of, I couldn't really put it into words, but that was something I was thinking about is like, you know, if it makes money, like, like you'll keep it up. Somebody will, you know, like you can even probably sell it after you're dead. Like, um, like if it generates a revenue. Um, so not that, not that it has to like, uh, let's, break out of the has to mindset, but, but I would think like a page would have more chance to live. Um, if it had, yeah, money is cool, but I'd say most websites on the don't make money. So I'd say like, I like the money when you're probably right. Like if it, especially if it makes some like non-trivial amount of money, it will almost definitely be kept up. 
But like, yeah. even aside from money, it's just some something to some reason that you care that it exists, you know, because it represents you personally or benefits you in just in some way, you know. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like the you know, I think tooling or or kind of ease. Like I think about like like not a lot of people do it, but like Jekyll static sites or something like that on GitHub, you know, it's so easy. Cause it's just done. Like it's all, it's up there. It like lives there. I didn't do anything, even static HTML. It just, I didn't even touch it. It just got its own website by accident. So like stuff like that, like, like the home uh, is also where the code is, you know? So, or the home, your homepage is where you're good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's Just imagine low. it in cross-stitching and it'll come to life. Yeah. Yeah. If you can somebody cross-stitch that for me, your home is where your web page is. Um, your homepage is where your web. I is? saw anyway, a great one um, that said, uh, my house is a mess, but my homepage is immaculate and written in that really cheesy script lettering on a piece <laughs> of wood, you know? And, and I, oh, I walked good. right by it and then I, I, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy that. That's so awesome. You know? And I walked back and it was gone. Somebody bought it. I was like, mother gosh, darn it. You know what I want to do? This is my quit web business. Are you ready? <laughs> Here's, here it is. Uh, like, uh, I want to build, you know, those, uh, like almost like those sermon signs outside of churches, right? With the little letters you can stick on, right? I want, I want to build like little, like, like, home sweet home signs like with like really crappy like floral paintings but it says like wi-fi sweet wi-fi or me wi-fi sue wi-fi and then you use the little church letters to like spell out your wi-fi password and it just (laughs) hangs in your house it's totally insecure but it's just this idea of like hey welcome to my home here's my wi-fi password you could it's xp39 or 5321 but like that's my wi-fi password welcome to my house (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. Ship it's it. stupid. Yeah. Anyway, that's my nope. rage quit. Everyone's going to buy one pre-orders on uh, Kickstarter. Did you see the, 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 the QR code thing? Is that going to be an option for them? Or like, What's that? that like, you, you can like make a special QR code that, that, it, oh, that all cameras, yeah. Android and iPhone, if you just point it at it, it'll just be like, oh, I see. This is one of those Wi-Fi QR codes. And it just hops on your Wi-Fi. I love that. Uh, I, and you could, could burn it into it. a piece of, of walnut. Yeah, yeah. Matt Howie did it and wrote up a little blog post about how he did it. But apparently, he did a fancy one just because he's a fancy man. But um, it's a it's an Etsy thing, you know. Just like look yeah. around on Etsy. But this this where your half your income will be Etsy, I think, in your new life, Dave. Yeah, my new life. You know, I'm good at selling stuff online. I think we've established that over 400. <laughs> episodes, so. Hey, for the <laughs> listeners out there, I, I just realized how. The title of 395, the episode before this one, is 2020, Don't Eject! I sometimes don't, I I feel like I don't even know. It's not me whoever invents the titles for these, and I don't have any, I don't care who titles it, I'll just title it whatever you want, but listeners should know that it almost seems like that's like what we're going to talk about in that episode is, is ejecting. We had no plan to do that. It's probably about one of 50 things we talked about in that episode, so, like, the, the uh, titles on Chop Talk Show, let's just call them loosely related to <laughs> the content of the yeah, episode. They're, they're. Just, any episode, just click it and play it. It's going to have all kinds of stuff in it. 
it's not just going to be about whatever the dumb title was about. Even if there's a guess, you know, we talked with Andy about a heck of a lot more than 11D, you know? Yeah. No, it's it's usually like one of uh, 50 things we probably address during the course of an episode. So we appreciate you listening. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by AWS Amplify. You know AWS, right? Uh, uh, Amazon Web Services. It powers most of the internet, it feels like. There's a ton of things that go in the AWS bucket, like EC2 allows you to like spin up servers of your choice and has all kinds of configuration. And like S3 is for file storage and Lambdas is for running cloud functions, all kinds of stuff that individually you can set up and use and are great. Uh, but there's so much more than that. You know, there's a ton of different things AWS does. AWS Amplify is kind of a package of tools to help you build full stack apps for the web. So it's it's like, I don't know, just give me the stuff that I need that usually you need to build an app. So Amplify is hosting. You need web hosting. It's got that. It's got authentication for logins for your users. It's got GraphQL as a first-class citizen of it. It's got serverless functions, like I need, you know, the Lambda thing. I want to run some code in the cloud to hit APIs and do whatever else I need to. And it's got file storage if you need it. It's got some machine learning stuff in there if you need it. So Amplify is this, you know, easy-to-use full-stack framework for getting started quick with building web apps. It's really cool. The auth stuff alone is cool. It's just a few lines of code in there. GraphQL has taken over the world of how to... uh, 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 get things from a database, put things back in a database, really front-end development-friendly way to do database stuff. Love GraphQL. It's just built in as a first-class citizen. It's the scalable API. You just, it just, you don't have to provision your own servers. It just does it up for you. Uh, pretty cool. So AWS Amplify is really cool. Definitely worth checking out, especially as a front-end developer. So check all that out. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do we have any questions today? Should we hop into some regular old Q&A? Yeah, this was, uh, you know, just because we talked about Edge already. This is Raymond uh, Raymond Zelzer, Selzer wrote in about, um, about kind of cross-browser testing on IE. Say you're, um, say you're even on a Windows machine or you're on a Mac and you want to test on different versions of, of IE and, and Edge now because... Now that your Edge has updated to Chrome Edge, there'll be some portion of your audience that didn't do that upgrade because on purpose mm-hmm. or they're just enterprise and just don't for whatever reason, you know. And now you're like, oh, crap, I, but I need to test on like Edge pre-Edgium. Uh, mm-hmm. Microsoft give mm-hmm. these away for free. So that's just a good thing to know. Didn't it, it used to be like modern.ie, right? Modern.ie. Yeah, I think it's... It kind of forwards to where you need to get... Um, and so it's like you need to run a VM, which is a virtual machine, and there's a free way to do that. There's this program called VirtualBox, which runs on a Mac and probably on Windows too, right? It seems like a cross-browser mm-hmm. yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a way to spin up a VM, a VM just being like another operating system <laughs> on your computer already, which is pretty cool. And so Edge gives these away, for, or Microsoft gives these away for free. You just... Uh, Download a copy of Windows that has pre-installed the version of Microsoft Edge or even IE. If you're that going that far back, which is starting to be crazy town. Oh, I've been in IE eleven for uh, that's my life this week. But oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, that sucks. I would also. I mean, 
I think this is great. Um, I think I have some coworkers who are running for kind of other reasons, like, like administrative profiling reasons, but, uh, with office like 365 active directory, but they're running windows in a VM like parallels or something like, but like a full version of windows that costs 100. Whole yeah. Dollars. I'd say I, um, I like parallels too, just cause it's just way nicer UI and a little speedier. Yeah. Nice UI, like pretty dependable operating system, like interaction loop or whatever that is. Like, uh, so if you're on a Mac, I, I have coworkers who are doing running windows in a VM and you get, you know, you get access to uh, Edge, New Edge, uh, IE 11, like right in a Windows 10 install. So, but you might have to spin um, one down one VM and up another one, though, don't you, to get multiple? No, no. I'm, if you're on like Windows, Windows, like it'll have it, everything in there. So, but I'm saying like these these developer VMs are just one browser. I think it's like one version of Windows with one browser, and it expires after 90 days, and you have to re-download. But if you buy like a legit copy of Windows for like a hundred dollars, you get you get a copy of IE on your system. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. And if you, so, if you're doing serious testing, a fairly minor investment gets you a lot nicer setup, perhaps. Yeah, DX UX. Yeah. I mean, you're just like you just have it. You and you can like local tunnel to it if you want. So all um, that stuff just needs to work. And but you know, you know the extreme like. DX to me is just like instant everything. Like I really feel like that's got to be the future we're heading towards. Although I'm sure we'll never get there because we'll always like fight it the wrong direction from the other side. Just how like five G is going to probably make websites slower because <laughs> we'll chew it up and then some. But we'll yeah. But I want it to be like if every letter I type is instantaneously reflected in the state of the of what I'm looking at, you know, CSS changes. I don't want to wait ever. I want it to be instant, you know, and we, we get there sometimes. If you have a really nice, clean setup with hot module reloading and all that stuff, you can kind of get there, but it's a, uh, it's still not as fast as you'd like it to be. You know, that's what we, it's an important aspect of code pen that we hope to keep around, you know? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think that makes a huge deal is like the, the instant feedback. I think, think that's like a huge part of what I like rapid, application prototyping or development rad. Um, but like prototyping, like the, the quicker you can see changes and get feedback. I, like that's a big deal. I, I was griping in a Slack chat we're in, uh, but I, I was griping about, you know, I, this morning I was waiting, I waited like 11 minutes for like a server to deploy, like a VM to like spin up and deploy my code to a staging environment so that I could finish a Jira ticket to send a link, you know? And I just was, I, I just was like, this is light years away from my Netlify experience where I push code and almost before I can open Netlify to get the branch URL, Netlify is like, oh, I deployed it already. <laughs> it's on this URL. Like I just, there's, anyway, it's just like, uh, it's so, uh, the not making people wait or, or, or even just like, eliminating friction time is probably the hugest friction for developers. I mean, cause I just sit around for 10 minutes and I'm like, dude, what am I going to do? You know, for 10 minutes, just sit here and spin in my chair, read Twitter. No, thank you. So anyway, I just, I think there's like, I, I think if we can fix time and reduce time, I think everything gets better. So Yeah. Good, good, good stuff. Well, thank you, Raymond, uh, for, 
uh, the tip on edge VMs. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, we have another question. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. Cameron Ayler writes in, uh, do you have any pros or cons uh, to mind using Rails plus React or even Rails plus blank front-end framework? I'm a designer, but looking to have a conversation with developers who have been in the Rails realm for a while. Um, mm. You work on a Rails with a React front-end. Yeah, which you know, that was a pretty intentional choice by us, but... But our situation is so, it's not unique because so many people are working with legacy stuff, but React wasn't a choice that we made on day one. It's a choice we made like after like many, many years, like seven years of developing a Rails app. Things would be a lot different now if we were greenfielding it. Although, because we're greenfielding, I think you even said this too, that like a Rails backend and a JavaScript framework frontend like Vue is pretty sweet, you know, like Rails as an API and and view as a, the the front end thing, but maybe not even so much an API. Like you could still render ERB, but then use something like view inline templates so that once the it's loaded, it's still ready to go view components. That seems pretty dreamy to me. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would. I mean, I'm, of course, I'm going to recommend view because I'm a scumbag. But I uh, like views whole. The, like I, I'm so impressed, Evan. You we talked to him last year. You know, part of the design of Vue, like one of the design requirements was that it could work with legacy applications, like help upgrade legacy applications. So, you know, if you think of your Rails ERB templates as legacy, although they're probably not, um, I think like you're, you you can sneak it in, like almost like a jQuery and start writing Vue components that then just sort of start spitting out lists with data that you got from your own Rails server. Like, like all that's really easy to do with Vue, um, yeah, like out of the box, I would say, with, right. with very few like dependency hell trees. You so know? people really um, like Vue files dot Vue, but you probably would like like there's a world that you just don't use that at all because that's like a really special Babel fancy com- compiled way of using Vue. You can just use HTML with Vue and. Yeah. Yeah, and and you can also just yeah, like you can just have like a div where your app mounts, um, right? But then you you're writing JavaScript like view dot component, you know, dot whatever define or something. I forget the syntax right off the top of my head, but like you you're basically writing components in JavaScript and they load like a jQuery plugin or something like that, um, and and so that's going to make your developers very comfortable with how I guess it's integrating into the application. You're like a very light footprint on, but, but, you know, to get the full power of you, you do need to eject again, <laughs> don't eject 2020. Uh, you need to eject to, to like, and then pull all these components out into like a proper view app. And, you know, at some point you'll want to do that, but for baby stepping in, like, I think, I think it's a good pathway forward. You can do this with react too. That's what Facebook does. Facebook also has like a thousand engineers, uh, code pen, you know, y'all did it, but y'all have like six, seven engineers and you're like been working on this for seven years every day. Um, you know, I, I, I would say that the maybe drawback like, of EJ or going to a, 
uh, front end framework is probably like you need to be able to need to be sure it's solving problems. Like where you click a button and like it sends a hit to the database, like a favorite or something. And like, it lights up red, like that's great. Like, I think that solves a problem in rails cause that sucked in rails and you had to do like turbo links or some kind of like big long fetch. Um, uh, but I think there's there's things like if you write your form in view, well, now you have to handle all the validation and stuff like that. Like all that crap is now your job, whereas like Rails hands, handles it with like a form helper. Like it's built into Rails, basically, like form validation, error handling, like all that stuff. That's all built into Rails. So I would be careful. That's what I want to say. I would be careful what pieces you're touching first. So yeah, that's kind of a good point. You know, there's a there's a world in which you literally only use it as an API. You know, like I'd be tempted to, you know, because otherwise, like you're going to do all your routing in Rails, and then you throw React or some framework on top of it. That eventually you're going to be like, but I want to do my routing there because then it's all fast and SPA'd out. You know, and you're like, well, too bad because you did your routing somewhere else. So, you know, like that's those are at odds to some degree. If I was doing it and I was own, you know, I really wanted to use React and I and I needed Rails because we have this kind of just complex internal API that Rails excels at. I'd probably like start with Next and just be like, this is just going to be a Next app, and then it, whatever API stuff it needs to consume will just be generated by Rails. That way, it's like the front end just totally does its own thing, and the back end kind of totally does its own thing. It should be mentioned mm-hmm. that. The creators of Rails, Basecamp and Gang, um, don't do that, but they obviously build front ends that are pretty JavaScript powered. Still, have their own framework called. You know, they're also the creators of Turbo Links, so that's a possibility too. Although that doesn't solve like a desire to write in a JavaScript framework front end. That's like almost you ignoring a JavaScript powered front end. Stimulus is their version of a JavaScript framework plus Rails which allows you to just ship functionality attached to your HTML elements. It looks cool. I've never built anything serious in it, but I would give it a thumbs up from its philosophy. Looks nice, doesn't it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a brand new one yeah. that shipped like last week that looks fascinating to me. I bet you'll like it, Dave. Um, look up Alpine JS. Uh, okay, okay, Alpine JS. <laughs> yeah. I was completed for Alpine, Texas, and I got very excited. It's a good place in Texas. Well, if you scroll down there, read me to the the use section. It looks it looks similar to stimulus in a way that you have like data attributes with state in yeah, them. X data, and you just pass some JSON. Ooh, beautiful! And you see that click handler, and they even have a click away yeah. handler, which is pretty hot. Um, see, this is like view. I, like this is what the parts of view I like or yeah. views. Uh, uh, what is it? The, the the directives. That's it. The like view HTML directives that kind of make view super powery in your templates. And that's again, that's like people don't like that. A lot of React people are like, I'd rather do it in just JavaScript, you know. Um, but n- this is great. I think you'd like this. I think this would be a good place to start. It looks good uh, if you just want. I played with it a little bit. Activity. Cool. It's got a transition. That's kind of helpful because. But it's not just UI stuff only. Like they, they clearly have a, a demo a little later on that does a fetch for the data it's going to use and stuff. So it looks it yeah. looks pretty darn robust. 
X dash X dash attributes like all day long. Yeah, that's cool. I would I would also too like in your discussions with the like developers, I would probably be like we want to push the UI a bit more or have a bit more ownership of the UI because that's what it sounds like to me. Um, but I would also make sure like you understand what the developers use Rails for or why or what value they're getting out of it. Cause that's a big part of it too. Right. It's like, you, you don't want to like come in and be like, I'm taking your cheese and I'm making to create a bunch of problems over the next two years as we build this thing. Out. Yeah. Like, I like that doesn't solve any problems. You're going to get like the cackles from the old developer guys and girls and, and just people who are just like, it could be the exact opposite though. They could be like rails. I don't know. We don't really love rails. If we could do this in node, that'd be way more fun. Then you'd be like, oh, well, let's do that then, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's great, because I had an idea. Yeah. Um, I was playing with... Um, Mongo or whatever. Yeah, if, you have, if you have a little app, too, like a Next or a Nuxt app, sort of just like that, like a prototype that sort of is just a rough idea, like don't spend more than like two days on it, which is like a rough idea of like, here's like getting data, like, and because... And, I think the conversation is about that. Like how does data and session and all this stuff, that's, that's the hard part. Like we built out a whole, you know, Angular app for a client and we were like, Hey, look at this. And they're like, cool. We need a Java session. And we were just like, Oh, yikes. How do we get J session, you know, like into our Angular app. And so just that became the bottleneck, you know? And so like, again, it's sort of like, you probably don't have the, you don't know the problems right now, um, but so but start a conversation just from the idea of like we'd like to push the front end as much as we can and have a bit more flexibility or whatever you're looking for. So um, and don't go in adversarial. They're they're your friends and coworkers. That's all I'd say. So. This next one is pretty funny. It's like this guy named oh is that did I copy that right? Heim Heim. Uh, uh, whatever. Sorry there, if I screwed you probably it up. Just said a curse word. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> German. They tricked us. They did. You bastards. Oh. And now I just swear for real. <laughs> so the, you got a, you got a new job. It's all in it uses a lot of old tech. It was a longer question, but the, here's here's an example. Most of the JavaScript and this whole app works on is CoffeeScript. And Haim is saying, I, I find... It's like you're using Rails. <laughs> oh, it kind of does. Yeah, Rails <laughs> used to ship with CoffeeScript. I wonder when they stopped. What Anyway, it did for a minute. Bad bat, unfortunately. I find CoffeeStrip extremely hard to read and write coming from a vanilla JS background. Any tips to gently move them over from, you know, to using just like ES6 plus? Uh, Man, this is tough. I don't know. I would, I don't know. I This is like a very like... There is a project to called a Decaffeinate, lot, which is kind of great. <laughs> Which oh, really? you paste in your coffee script and it kind of barfs out stuff. Um, Standard JavaScript. W- what I like about it is that it retains your comments and stuff because that's what I'd worry about. Because there's one world in which you're just like, I don't know, just compile it, take the compiled stuff, sh- you know, throw beautify, away your JavaScript, and- beautify, yeah, and, and there you go. But this looks like it does a, st- it goes a step further and like g- g- cleans it up into a, a way that you might look like a human being wrote it. That's the danger is that, you know, compiled JavaScript, even beautified, doesn't have that human feel to it. It might actually be worse to move away from it than just leave it. Oh, man. Um, 
you know, this might work. I think I know Brian Donovan, um, who wrote this. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like I, this might be a, the best choice, but I, I think like you, at some point you have to be like, hey, we need to we need to talk about the uh, sort of future proofiness of this application. You know, not a lot of a lot of things have moved off of CoffeeScript, and, and if you like CoffeeScript and you're having success with it, keep doing it. That's great. I don't want your job, but it sounds like. You're not having success. Well, with aren't you locked time. in? Like, because um, CoffeeScript yeah. isn't getting updated anymore, probably. So, if there's some cool ES6 plus feature, it's possible that CoffeeScript just doesn't let you write it. So, that's going to have to be the, right. the, the, the your argument to the bosses or whoever to be like, hey, like, this is useful stuff and we can't use it because this technology is limiting us, you know? Well, and I think like a lot of it, like, a, a lot of what was I, I think a lot of the the good pieces, the good parts of CoffeeScript, the good parts uh, have have kind of been put into uh, been put into JavaScript now. So I I, th- I think you're going to have less of a a, ki- a pushback. You know, I, I'm trying to think of what features CoffeeScript really had. Here's one um, that's so great. I was just playing it with the other day because I had to test it and make write some tests, make sure we weren't breaking stuff at CodePen. You can write like. Dave or like name equals Dave. You know, you like in CoffeeScript, you don't even have mm-hmm. to say const let var. It just like does it for you. So you just go. That's Railsy. Yeah, That's it is Railsy. Yeah. Life. Okay. Name equals Dave. Quote end quote Dave, and then you can just say if true, because you, you can put like a condition at the end of it, which is also Railsy. Oh, okay. You know, you can be like yeah. if yeah. you'd really you'd put a condition there, like if you know, whatever logged in or some equals true also or something but if true will just it won't do anything it'll just it'll just assign the string because true is always true you know but it's a very yeah. modern feel you know it'd be like const result huge if true you know? <laughs> right well but you could do like if whatever user dot id equals one two three four five or whatever like you know equals equals i yeah, it just compiles to if yeah, state just reverses if it brackets yeah. if true brackets const <laughs> name equals Dave. That's beautiful. What a, what a wonder, dude! This I would do this decaffeinate thing. This looks pretty good. The white space of it is weird. Like, how many of us write white space languages anymore? Although, thanks GraphQL bringing it back. Don't love that. <laughs> <laughs> Please deprecate. <Yeah. laughs> like just because you hate commas, is that why? Like I, I hate it. I don't Graph know. GraphQL with commas, bring it on. Yeah. Well, I think about too, like uh, people who are, who are rage against the semicolon at the end. You know, I'm not going to write those. You know, and we lint those out or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, God forbid! It just you tell the computer to stop doing something. <laughs> just anyway, hey. Computers are smart. People have figured it out. Um, but I would, I don't know. I think if, again, this is probably the same conversation as the previous uh, person. <laughs> like, I think start the conversation, like, like what, what things are we getting out of CoffeeScript, you know? Um, and, and, you know. I really like that approach, think, Dave. That's smart. Like, because, because there's always a reason, you know, and sometimes the reason is dumb and sometimes the reason is smart. You know, it's like, oh, we're using CoffeeScript because the C, <laughs> the CTO invented it, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And you're just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I didn't realize that or whatever. Like, 
or like he had big buy-in. So like the, the job to move off coffee script is actually convincing the CTO, like, Hey, your, your pet project, your baby that you love that we've written now 3000 lines of coffee script or 300,000 lines of coffee script. Isn't that, isn't that popular anymore? That's like, you know, that can be insulting or now you have a human problem. So I, I think like, getting to the core of like, what's the, what value is this providing? And, and not just trying to shoot it down. That's not it, but like trying to understand what value that's providing, you know, maybe people just hate JavaScript. You know, you have a lot of people who just, I don't, I, I'm a backend person. I don't like JavaScript. This makes me feel like I'm not writing front end code or something. So maybe that makes a big difference. Or like you said, maybe they're just like, Oh, I, I've been waiting for you, to, someone like you, eager enough to port all of our coffee script over, you know, or maybe you don't have tests. That's probably it too. Right. And somebody would be like, we don't have the tests. And so like our tests are, you know, like it, we could do a major refactor, but like it would probably break everything because we don't have the test suite. Well, maybe you volunteer to write all the tests, you know, get better test coverage and, and you know, that makes the whole product better going forward. Heck so, yeah, it does. I say that as somebody who's terrible at writing tests, but that, that would be a help. Be a help. It's so hard, isn't it? Like, we need, like, a Testers Anonymous club or something where it's like, some days I'm, like, all high on high on the world because my tests are running good and I wrote some tests and I'm like, we're never going to ship broken code again. Our tests are amazing. And then they, like, start not working good and... Then you like get off the testing bandwagon for a minute, and then you're like too busy doing other stuff to worry about them. And oh, poor tests. Yeah, you know, I find unit tests are a lot easier to like just keep up and stick around and grow and have stay robust over time. But the end to the end to end stuff is very fragile to me. I think. Yeah. No. Well, it totally. I mean, I think that's always my thing. Is like like unit tests. It, you know, okay. If one plus one equals two, assert that. Great, I'll do that. Sure, cool. But then it's like my tests are more like okay on Internet Explorer. Like this div cannot be like three or four pixels more than this div because of some weird flexbox collapsing thing. Like, like those are the tests I'm at three hundred and eighty-two pixel viewport. You know, like that's the stuff. The problems I have. And so, like, it's it's such a, like, I don't know, I don't know how to solve those, you know. I will say this is sorry, hot testing news. Uh, Microsoft just uh, dropped a thing called Playwright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And it is a, it is a cross-browser web automation platform, like Puppeteer. What? But it works with Chromium, WebKit, and Firefox. No way. Would Microsoft just oh, dropped yes this? way. Microsoft just oh, dropped we, this. We should Microsoft get somebody Playwright. on the show for that. That's so um, cool. So I'm not sure that's gonna, that doesn't solve the CoffeeScript problem. But I'm, I'm just like, ooh, now this maybe makes it kind of closer to um, like a very helpful browser, like, I don't know, integrated browser testing. Or this whatever, is one, so. like, and, you know, just a heads up for the world. What these things need to me, like uh, table stakes, is a really, 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 really reliable way for it to know when the page is ready to do its do the work. Like you can't wait for like 
window.load because then all your tests will take hours because that that hangs all the time for weird reasons, you know. And it can't be like DOM ready because that's not necessarily perfect because then there's like Ajax requests for data that's have to come back and stuff. There needs to be like real intelligence, I think, built in that's just like, okay, now you can click that button. Like, I just want to write a test that's like, click this button and see if the H1 says, hi, Dave, in it. But like in order for that to like reliably run, it needs to like heuristically somehow know that 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 line of code is like ready to be run and tested, and that's like a hard problem to solve. Not simple, but anyway, I just thought this was pretty cool. Like anyway, it that seems like freaking is cool. I'm going to show everybody this today, like literally a yesterday thing last night. Oh. But it but it is like it's it's gonna. I, I I think it could possibly be the precursor to. I don't know. Did you? Brad Frost has talked about. We're coming up to the hard stop. I gotta be careful. But Brad Frost had talked about like, wouldn't it be cool to have a browser engine that just randomly changed? On oh you? Like, yeah. Oh sorry. Now it's like Firefox. Now it's Opera. Now it's what that's it? such a Brad Frost thing. Didn't he make that like tester tool that randomly loaded your website at different widths? Yeah, and I think he was like putting that in there too. It's just like you you open a page and it's just random. Like yeah. just you don't even know. And like just just from the like I guess stress testability or the like. Like, hey, what, you know, this is like, how does this look? Does this work and feel good? Um, sort of perspective in like different browser engines. But I'm not saying this accomplishes Brad's dream, but like, hey, maybe, maybe this touches it. I don't know. It gets close to it. So at least you could maybe chump out a screenshot of something. So there you go. Like, what's this look like in random browser? Give me a random screenshot. <laughs> or whatever so there you go all right hey we got a hard stop here uh thank you dear listener for downloading this in your podcast your church be sure to start heart favorite of this up people find out about the show follow us on twitter at shop talk show for tens of tweets a month via your job have shop talk show.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you and chris you got anything else you'd like to say <gasps> job talk show.com All right, thank you. That was very fast, hard stop. Okay, but we still have like a minute. So what do we do? Okay, all right. Okay, bye.